Good morning, RCC. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be back in sunny Florida. <laughs> it's 24 this morning when I was coming here. It's also great to have a, uh, a pastor escort from one church to another. You kind of get grace and mercy from the police, right? So uh, that's, that's kind of fun. It's like when we drove our wives to the hospital where we were getting pregnant. You drive, having a child, you drive like 100. But great to be back with you. Now, this is an important piece of equipment in my life. Now, to you, it just looks like a shoe shiner or a shoe buffer. But to me, it symbolized something far more important as a kid. Success. Rich. Happy. Let me explain what I mean. Our neighbors to the left side of our house growing up in South Georgia had one of the biggest homes in town. They didn't have kids, and about 11 years old, I went over to their house with my parents, and I remember walking down this long foyer, and they had the, I remember the sun coming through, and I remember what the house smelled like, and they had this machine sitting there, and as a little kid, I walked by it, and I stopped, and I said, what, what is this? And she said, it's a machine that shines your shoes. And I said, you have a machine that shines your shoes? And she said, yeah. And at that moment, I thought, that's what rich people have. And if you have that, that must mean you're rich and therefore happy. And so this machine is actually in the men's room at our office. I just, I just, have, I just bought that because nostalgically it meant something to me as a kid. I also remember literally saying this out loud to my best friend when I was 12. I said these words, and I remember this. I said, when I grow up, regardless of what cars look like, I am going to drive that car. <laughs> this is a 77 Lincoln Continental town car. A little wind in the back. Could you see me pulling up here in this bad boy? It'll be like one of those ships arriving in a port that just arrives for like two and a half minutes. Parking that in some of these parking lots today. It was the town pharmacist's car. I mean, rich people. And I thought that I could buy that. And so that's why I wanted that. Now, I thought that that would make me happy. Happiness. Maybe the world's most elusive feeling you could say maybe peace or success, but happiness, it's interesting. I can be a complete personal failure and still be happy. Now, we all have different versions of what makes us happy. Would you agree? For some people, having money makes you happy. The more money you have, the happier you believe that you are. For some, maybe being able to get a certain type of car, a Porsche or a Mustang, a collectible, just having a certain kind of car would make you happy. Or maybe, Dale, when I can travel, if I could just travel, that's when I would be the happiest. Or shopping, Dale, I'm just the happiest if I can go shop and spend money, that's when I'm happy. Or maybe a home, if we could just get that cabin in the mountains or that place at the beach, then we would be happy. Some say, you know what, when I'm on a golf course, that's when I'm happy, or the tennis court, or maybe for me, running makes me happy. Now, <clears throat> I'm probably alone. <laughs> I know I'm crazy, but Krispy Kreme <laughs> it 
makes me happy. Now, we, again, we all have different versions of what makes us happy. And for many of us, happiness is found by seeing and wanting what others have and do. Be careful if you doubt that. Be careful because you can't believe how much outside influences and certainly social media drive what we want subconsciously. We'll talk about that later. Some of us don't care about that. Maybe we just care about our own version of happiness. Some of us compromise our happiness. We accept some watered-down version of our own dreams and desires for happiness because we think that to pursue our own version of happiness is greedy and selfish. But for most of us, we conform to someone else's version of happiness for our lives. Maybe a spouse's version of their happiness has to become your version of happiness. Maybe your child's travel ball team's version of their happiness has to become your version of happiness. And in that chase, for these people's version, your happiness has become completely beaten down and lost. These things are gone. I want to prove it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. So let's begin with a bigger question. What constitutes happiness? I mean, what is that? Is it being content? Is it being at peace? Here's some definitions of happiness. Being content with what you have, with whom, and where you have it. What about a lack of desiring things we don't have? Maybe something to do, something to love, and something to hope for. What about to have a life that has meaning and purpose? Or maybe this, to accumulate more or better, to desire less. Happiness. I mean, it's hard to define, but you just know when you have it, right? I mean, happiness seems to be what we all chase. I mean, think about it. Why do we want money to get things? What things? Stuff, peace, security, ego, Greed, for what? To be happy. But when we get it, we don't recognize we have it, and that's the problem. And it ruins us. It keeps us in a constant state of chase. And the more we chase, the more we know we haven't caught it. And you can add to that fact that we have billions and billions of dollars in ads bombarding us, telling us that we haven't caught it. And without the product that they're pitching, we'll never be happy. But simply by buying that product, we will be. It's overwhelming and very effective. It's like the Canadian who became an alcoholic because he kept reading a sign that said, Drink Canada Dry. <laughs> I love this quote. Happiness is the absence of striving for happiness. And here's why this topic is so important. How many times are we in the middle of our best moments and we don't even recognize that we are? Or that what we have is even happiness, but we keep chasing. Let me give you a personal example. I was recently on a, fish, a fly fishing trip in, uh, uh, in Montana, the Bighorn River. And we were on this incredible hole that had tons of fish, and we were killing fish. And I was so happy. We were tearing fish up. 
And we were there on this hole for two hours. You would drift over it and you'd fish it and then they'd, they'd row you over to the calm area, bring you back up the side of the river, take you back in it and you would rotate over these holes, just killing it. And there were three boats of us and we just kept rotating like that for two hours. Here's the problem. We still had 13 miles to go on this float that day. And I'll never forget asking this guy this question and how fast, serious, and the look on his face when he turned around and answered me. But I asked this question. <clears throat> hey, man, how long are we going to stay here? And he turned and he says, you never leave fish to go find fish. You never leave fish to go find fish. Wait, 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 wait. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. And what do we do? We got a good job, a great family, a good home, good finances, and we chase other crazy stuff because we are discontented. I'm sitting here thinking about how long we're going to be on this hole. How late is it going to be when we get back? Dale, this is why I paid to go on the trip, you flaming moron. <laughs> this, this, that was such a city question to ask that guy, by the way. He could not fathom why you would ask that question. The search for or the inability to detect happiness is one of the chief sources of unhappiness. And it's really interesting. It is what our lives are in search of. You can't rent it, build it, or buy it. We chase after it, and when we get it, most of the time we don't know we, don't know we have it. Others appear to have it, so we want their version of it. And when that doesn't work out as well for us, we talk bad about their version of it. It is like vapor. It's here momentarily, and then it's gone. It is interrupted by work, bills, and grocery lists. It is happiness. So obviously we're going to talk about that today, happiness. And we'll, we're going to focus on three ways to create or maybe keep the happiness in our lives. So today we're going to learn how to lie, cheat, and steal our ways to happiness. So let's begin with how to lie your way to happiness. Lie down and think about the purpose, passion, and calling on your life. This is very important. And I say lie down. Literally to decompress somewhere, to stop moving and just think. Have you ever met someone and after you meet them, I mean, somebody's just slapped crazy, slapped crazy, that's maybe a South Georgia, just slapped crazy about something. By the way, medically, when you're slapped crazy, that's a lot more expensive to treat than just being crazy, right? I mean, if your refrigerator is slapped toe up, there's like a $75 extra job. Oh, you didn't say it was slapped toe up. <laughs> that's a surcharge. But when somebody's just slapped crazy about something, anything, and a huge problem today is that most people, we just aren't passionate about anything in our lives, anything positive in our lives. Norman Vincent Peale said, you only lose energy when life becomes dull in your mind. Your mind gets bored and therefore tired of doing nothing. Or listen to this, better said, nothing is more tiring than doing nothing. And when you see happiness, usually it's accompanied by energy and excitement. Get interested in something. Get absolutely enthralled in something. And the more you lose yourself in something bigger than yourself, the more energy you have. And we're talking about passion here. Nothing energizes a person the way passion does. And by the way, it's not about something that you do for money. It's something that you do to live and certainly to share. 
And by the way, it's usually only one or two things. Here's a great thought. There are a lot of things that will get our attention. But there are only a few things that will catch our heart. You see, being in the personal calling on your life and using it for a purpose for others is probably the highest form of happiness that you can reach. So what's a calling on your life? I mean, what does that even mean? People say that all the time. It answers these questions. Why am I here? What's my special gift? People tell me that I'm great at blank, that I'm gifted at blank. So what's your blank? Because the highest form of true happiness is found in the pursuit of our dominant passion in service to others. The highest form of true happiness is found in the pursuit of our dominant passion in service to others. I mean, most of us want a significant life, one full of meaning and, and lifting others up. And the problem with that is that it is against most of the world. You see, the world will tell us that the material life defined by things and power and achievements is more worthy of chasing. And that is what is creating much of the discontentedness most of us feel and have today. That's why I wanted you to think about your blank. Why? Because the pursuit of a passion usually involves two or more people. And if there's something that totally captivates you, that consumes you, it's not usually contained to ourselves. You have to share it with somebody else. Happiness has to be shared with others. And in that sharing, we become not only happier, but more valuable to others. David Salyers, the head of marketing for Chick-fil-A, said, a life can consist of two paths, a life built on creating value for, palms open, or a life built on extracting value from. And since we're in Florida, George Jenkins, the founder of Publix, was once asked, how much would you be worth had you not given away so much money? And he said, probably nothing. When our life begins to mean something, especially to others, man, it takes on a whole new level. And when we help others find their happiness, think about business. When we help others find their happiness, that's usually when we move closer to ours. Life's happiest moments are found in the joyful, unselfish pursuit of service to others. Here's an example. My mother passed away a couple of years ago. Now, after my dad died, my mom could have gone one of two ways. She could have completely imploded and withdrawn. You've seen this with surviving spouses. She could have completely imploded and withdrawn. Or she could have blossomed and refocused her life on others. And my mom began a path of building on her purpose and her passions. First, my mom's gifts were many. They weren't huge, but they were many. And bear with me in this as I, as I walk through you this. My mom was a teacher for 26 years. And she went back and poured into this eight-year-old kid and completely turned his life, academic life, and therefore his life around. My mom had the gift of music, playing the, the piano and the organ. She played for their churches for 30 years. She and dad had the gifts of administration, and they were admin, administered a scholarship foundation for a Baptist scholarship foundation. She had the gift of cooking, and she made 200 jars of jelly for people that came to this big conference that we had every year. She would make that 
for these attendees. My mom had the gift of love, and she would put these little scripture kits together that had verses and mementos in it and send it to people who had ill health or were going through a tough time. Guideposts actually wrote an article about my mother about those. Mom had the gift of, of knitting, and she did, by the way, all of these things at the same time. She had the gift of knitting, and she would knit beanies for cancer patients and take them to hospitals and give them to cancer patients, keep them warm. She had the gifts of crafts, and she would press flowers, and she would make these bookmarks, and she would witness to people as she handed out those bookmarks, even in the hospital. She and my dad had financial gifts, and they just donated to lots of people. And my mom's life became a complete shift to others. And she became so joyfully unselfish in her last five years of her life. She was completely happy after a devastating loss. There's a great thought here by Holocaust survivor Viktor Frankl. He says, in some way, suffering ceases to be suffering at the moment it finds a meaning. In other words, you've got to get a message out of the mess. Find a testimony in the test. Outside of our family, it was the most fulfilling period of my mother's life. And she focused on the purpose and the passion and the calling on her lives. And she and I talked quite a bit about this. And she fell in love with serving others. And she talked about the ways that she could do that. I mean, we all want to be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. I mean, we all, it's our duty and it's our opportunity to serve others through the gifts that we've been blessed with. But the reality of it is, even everybody hearing this, most of us will never do a thing about it. Why? Because society will tell you, you're not blank enough. You're not gifted enough, pretty enough, thin enough, or rich enough. Why? Because if we are, we don't watch their shows, buy their products, or go to their resorts. Society says, think about our children. Society says, don't try, fit in, don't stand out. And if you desire to make a difference in the world, you have to be different from the world. And the world hates that. Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the ways of the world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. So lie down and think about the purpose, the passion, and the calling on your life. Next, cheat, father time, and live a long, healthy life. Anxiety and stress is a huge problem today. And it is a major harm on our outlook on life and therefore on our happiness. And now, by the way, it's spread into our kids' lives more than ever. Listen to this, this quote. High school students today have the same level of anxiety as psychiatric patients from the 50s. We are more anxious. That's a funny pastor quote that I heard. Have you ever been worried that you're not worried about anything, but that you should worry, be worried about something? And if we're going to have happiness in our lives, it is much easier if we have a healthy body and mind. Here's health rule number one. We have to keep our bodies and our minds moving. We have to keep our bodies 
and our minds moving. So many people today should have on their tombstone, died age 31, buried age 75. A neighbor's son had recently played his last high school football game. And he was in his front yard on a Saturday morning after that. And I walked out and I was talking to him. I said, Mason, let me ask you a question. Do you know that for most all of us men, think about this, man. For most all of us men, last night after the final horn blew, it was the healthiest our bodies would ever be. And they then began a long, slow deterioration. I am not going near that observation for women. <laughs> we have to keep our bodies and our minds moving. Is my physical condition creating energy and fueling happiness in my life? And the three biggest influencers on our health and therefore a huge influence on our happiness are these things. Our friends, our habits, and our minds. First, let's start with our friends. Pay attention to your fans. And it's important in any kind of goal that we have, that we have encouragers in our life. Did you know that geese even know that? In fact, the geese in the back only work about 80% as hard as the geese up front. And even the geese know that. And they honk to encourage the other geese. I don't know how the geese told them that, but they did studies and found. But they honk to encourage the other geese. Why do you do that? I don't know. All right. They know that to do something big, the load has to be shared. Now, I love marathons and, and 26 miles of, you have got to be kidding. It's probably a mental illness. And usually around mile 18 of the 26 in a marathon, you're not even really kind of physically halfway. There comes a time when you just can't put one more foot in front of the other, physically and mentally. And this, by the way, this applies to more than just exercise. But at some point in a goal, in a life, in a marriage, in a checkbook, there is. We just say, man, I just can't go any further. If there ever is, listen to your fans. When I'm talking to myself the whole race, but at some point, my body starts taking over my mind's thoughts, right? And my body starts saying, dude, but this is really hard. I'm in pain. It, this isn't worth it. It's interesting, but exercise is kind of a metaphor about life. I mean, it gets hard. And you want to quit. This marriage ain't worth it. That my health ain't worth it. My paycheck isn't worth it. You have to do one thing. Listen to your fans. Here's an example of what that does for you. In some races, they give you a sticker and you stick it on your shirt. It says, my name is, the first marathon is like Chicago. And I was like, all right, I'm going to try this, Dale. I thought it was when I died, they could come up and go, name's Dale. Or <laughs> wake up, Dale. They'd know who they're talking to. But anyway, so I put this on my, I'm out there running. And I'm like feeling terrible. And by that time, people start yelling out to you, come on, Dale. You got this, Dale. You can do it, Dale. I'm proud of you, Dale. I start running a little bit higher. In New York, coming through Central Park, dying. And about two miles left to go, and this lady's standing out like this, and she's holding this sign. And her sign says, move your butt. <laughs> she's at her house going, I need a motivate. I need something. Move your butt. 
I, I just started laughing. I said, lady, I can't even feel my butt. <laughs> but I'm going to move my butt. <laughs> I move my butt. I will never forget her. There are people in your life who don't want you to succeed. And you know exactly who I'm talking about. Find people that will encourage us. Kids, if you're in here, find people, friends, that will encourage you, that will support your goal. But in order to find those type, listen, we have to be those type. And it's less about finding the right person to have around and more about becoming the right person to be around. Next, our habits. Rolling out of bed is the biggest enemy of all. It's the hardest step. And to create a habit of exercise, eliminate the biggest hurdle. And there's three words that keep people most of the time from exercising. Three words. Where are they? I'm too tired. I'm too tired. Realize this fact. Rolling out of bed is the biggest enemy of all. It's the hardest step. Now, I'm a morning exerciser. If I run, I'm a morning runner. And here's what I found. Literally, the step from rolling the covers back, listen to me, and stepping on the floor is the biggest hurdle to the shape that I want to be in. It's the first movement of going from comfortable to uncomfortable. But if you break through that movement, man, you're on the way. Marvin Hagler, one of the former great boxers, said this. He said, it's hard to do road work when you're sleeping on silk sheets. And we have to understand that and break through that. And third, our minds. When it comes to exercise, mental is more powerful than muscle. George Patton uh, uh, General George Patton, it was actually an Olympian. I didn't know he was an Olympian. He says this. Now, if you're going to win any battle, you have to do one thing. You have to make the mind run the body. Never let the body tell the mind what to do. The body will always give up. It's always tired morning, noon, and night. But the body is never tired if the mind is not tired. When you were younger, the mind could make you stay up all night and dance. The body was never tired. You've always got to make the mind take over and keep going. We have to keep our bodies and our minds moving. And here's a way to do that. Just say this. I run this body. I run this body. Because remember, nothing is more tiring than doing nothing. So cheat, father time, and live a long, healthy life. And last, steal away and spend time with family and friends. Now, this is big. And possibly the greatest contributor to happiness in our lives is our last section, family and friends. Because at the most important, the happiest, or the hardest moments in our lives, we will be more thankful about the people we are with than the possessions that we own. Because as bad as things can get financially or professionally, if we still have the ones around us who love us, that's really all we need for happiness in the end. Now, not so long ago, marriages were composed 
of three strong areas. First, there was an economic element where both spouses depended on each other for mutual chores and parenting. There was a social element to families where families and, and friends and neighbors were stronger and played a larger role in helping to raise the children. And there was a religious element that helped shape the values of the family members. And today, many of our family members have none of those three elements. And it's creating a crisis in the family unit. The family is the most integral part of the fabric of a civilization. It's a place where morals are built, tradition is laid, and integrity is ingrained. And today, we seem to be getting more and more detached from our relationships. And one of the biggest causes of this detachment is the use of technology and social media. And when we use the convenience of technology to excuse our need to call or visit due to convenience, it seems to have, surveys show, to have us feel that the world is colder and unfriendlier, if that's a word. And that is fuel for subconscious unhappiness. So to complement the purpose, passion, and calling on our life and better health, we need to select and be aware of those that we spend most of our time with. And here's why. Because in the end, you will have more relational, not possessional, regrets. Because our relationships are always taking us somewhere. You've heard that saying, who, that we, who we're around is contagious. It is. And you believe that because you take note of who your children's friends are. What does Proverbs 13 tell us? Walk with the wise and become what? Wise. But a companion of fools suffers what? Harm. This says that smart thinking is contagious. Unfortunately, so is being an idiot. And if their buddies don't care about their own lives, they sure ain't gonna care about your kid's life. So if our kids are going to catch a relational wisdom flu, why not have them catch ours? Love and time are the two most valuable possessions that we have. But you can't buy more, you can only spend them. Lift, encourage, and inspire our kids. Barbara Bush said, at the end of your life, you'll never regret not having passed one more test, not winning one more verdict, or closing one more deal. You will regret time not spent with a husband, friend, child, or parent. Robert Fulgham, don't worry that our children never listen to you. Worry that they're always watching you. Steal away and spend time with your family and friends this year. So in closing, I have an observation. Maybe what we're all searching for is really the wrong thing. I mean, maybe the, the, the happiness ladder that we're all trying to climb is leaning against the wrong wall. I mean, we're searching and searching and chasing and chasing and spending and spending, and it doesn't seem to be working. C.S. Lewis had a great th thought. What does not satisfy us when we find it was not the thing we were desiring. Maybe it's not happiness we desire. Maybe it's something much deeper than that. Maybe it's joy. 
You see, happiness is found mostly in temporary material things, external things, based more on outward circumstances. But joy is internal. It's lasting. Happy is a short-term emotion. It passes. But joy is a long-term state. Think of it this way. Happy is an outside-in emotion. Most of the things outside, the things we see, read, buy, influences on the inside happiness. But joy is more of an inside-out state. It works like this. Don't let the world change your smile. That's outside-in. Let your smile change the world. That's inside-out. If happy is about the head, joy is about the heart. Here's a good example of the difference. Seeing a young man hold the door open for a lady makes me happy. Seeing my young man do it brings me joy. Seeing your daughter and son-in-law hold a baby makes you happy. But seeing them have a baby brings you joy. Happiness usually involves something about us. Joy usually involves something about others. And the lie about happiness and the truth about joy is that you have to want more for people than you want from people. It's the opposite of what the world says and certainly the opposite of what social media says. One of the greatest examples of joy in my life occurred in our kitchen in 2010, one random night in 2010. We were hosting uh, the Daraja Children's Choir from Kenya. We had about five or six of the, the Kenyan girls in our home, and we had had a flower fight in the kitchen, and everybody had flour all over us. And then we broke out pictures, started looking at these kids' pictures. And this little girl, Josephine, special little girl, and Josephine's flipping, and she stops and says, whoa, 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 Josephine, what, what is this? And it was this broken old wooden box leaning against a mud wall. And she looks up at me, I'll never forget her eyes, and she says, it's my clothes and my toys. She had so much joy. And I felt so sorry for us. And the interesting thing about Josephine was, she had so much gratitude in what little she had. And here was the rule. We couldn't give them gifts. You know why? Listen, because it would corrupt their values. In other words, the less she knew she was missing, the more she valued what she had. The less she knew she was missing, the more she valued what she has. That's where social media is killing us today. There's something in this. There were two things about Josephine. She was so grateful for what she had. And all she wanted to do was serve others, was serve us in our home. There's something in that. Don't miss this. Happy is more about what we get or have, but joy is about being content. So how do we get that joy this year? Two things have to happen. Here's one. To be thankful for at least one thing every day. And to verbally say it out loud. And here's why. 
my pastor said. Because the more we have, the harder it becomes to be grateful for it. This quote rocked me when I heard it. Someone is praying for the things that we take for granted. I was at a men's conference recently, and they asked all these men, they said, yell out your first thoughts when we give you certain words. Journey, these men said, exciting, race, win, competitive, validation. And they said, walk, and I went, uh-oh. And they said, slow, boring. And this man in the back with severe cystic fibrosis said, thankful. I'm not thankful when I covet your job, your car, your Facebook image, and he covets our ability to simply walk. It puts a different perspective on the things that we have that we take for granted. September 12th, I come in from a morning run at a conference in Chicago, and a co-worker in my room says, why is your face drooping when you're talking? I knew what he was talking about. I was having a stroke that hit my front right temporal lobe. My second that's hit my head. Six weeks later, November, I have another one. Hits that same lobe. And I don't know why I'm still here. But be grateful for that mess because there's a message. Find the testimony in this test. And the problem with the chase for happiness is that it is usually more concerned about what is happening to us, listen, than what is happening through us. Our country needs this. Be grateful. And last, become second. Use your passions in service of others. Because serving others is always more fulfilling than satisfying ourselves. So maybe there's a way to combine these things that make us happy and serve others. I mean, you love travel? Go on a mission. You like running? Start a charity 5K. You like golf? Start a charity golf tournament for someone or some, some, something. You have money? Build a playground. You like shopping? Go buy clothes for somebody else with them, with you, buying clothes for them. Here's how to know what to do. Our happiness in life is found in placing our ear to the chest of God and listen to his heartbeat. And then with our lives, repeat to the world what we heard. This requires that you, you get still, that we use our gifts, that we act with passion and vigor, and that we serve others. Let's lie, cheat, and steal our way to happiness this year. Let me pray for us.
Lord God, we just uh, give you so much praise that in a, in a country so blessed that uh, you've shown us the way to happiness, but this year, help us to, to focus on joy in our hearts and, and serve others in a way that you served us, and also to become second. And we just thank you for uh, all the blessings that you've given us in our lives, and uh, help us to go out here today and go be great. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.